in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, I have written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we, uh, as we open your word, as we read it, as we meditate on it, as we, as we search it for its relevance, as we uh, search our own hearts for our posture toward your revelation to us, I pray, Father, that we, would, that we would know what it is that you would have us to believe, that what it is that you would have us to, to change, how you would have us to submit to this teaching, Father. Help us, Father, to understand not just what you had for Timothy, but what you have for us here today in 2018 at Pillar Church. Help us, Father, to be discerning, to use wisdom, to trust you, to listen to, to others that have studied it over the years. Help us, Father. Give our hearts a posture toward, toward you of trust, of belief, of reverence. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so this conduct that he's talking about, this conduct of the church, we don't, like, we don't like words like conduct a lot of times. We don't like to know how to act. We just want to know what to believe and, you know, that hopefully our conduct will just spill out of that, right? That's, that's what we really hope as Christians, that if we just believe the right things, our good conduct will just spill out of it naturally and uh, we don't have to worry about our old habits. We don't have to worry about the influences of the world that we live in. Um, we, just, we just pray that God will sprinkle some kind of magical Holy Spirit juice on us and we'll just automatically change. We'll turn, we'll repent of our old way and we'll, we'll go forward in a new way. But unfortunately, oh, I don't need this anymore, do I? I just, I just love holding this. I just love holding this. <clears throat> yeah, how about that? Two mics. Hey, sometimes I have no mics. Today I was just going to have two. Um, we, we really, really, really wish it was that easy. We wish that God would just completely change us from the inside out, like, like popping popcorn, right? That happens from the inside out. Boom, it's changed. You can't put that back in. You can't put that fluffy white stuff back inside that kernel, that old hard kernel. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of change we want when we become Christians. Poof, it happens, nothing, nothing goes back. No old habits, no old influences, it's all the same. But, but that's not what happens, right? We're, we're trapped in these old influences a lot of times. We're still living in the same world. We've just been set apart as a gathering, as a group, as a, as a sect, as a family. You know, use, use whatever terminology you, you want to use. Um, but what we're still definitely impacted by all these external influences, whether it just be in our own hearts, things that we are used to, things that we, um, we struggled with in the past. Um, we, we, we talked about this this morning, you know, just, just things that, um, that once we become saved, we still have these influences of our past. Maybe it's just a memory that when I, when I am, am not caught up, but when I, when I do something that I did as a lost person, the memory of how I, how I acted during that time is, is enough to really cause me some unrest. For me, it's drinking. I just don't drink. I just, changed, I just changed it. 
I don't drink because drinking comes, brings with it so many old memories and so many old habits that I just, I just said I don't need to worry about that anymore. I'm just not even going to do it. Um, but there are so many other things like that that, uh, that, that still have their influence on us. And so we're going to see some of that today. Um, you know, Paul, again, he's talking to Timothy about the church. He's not talking to him about the world around him. He's talking to him about specific things that are happening in the church. So we're going to talk about some of those things today. Um, you know, our conduct, you know, by flipping on the nightly news or, or seeing the latest thing come across Christianity today, how um, this, uh, this godly man or woman was, was um, you know, leading a double life. You know, they, they were hypocrites. They said they were this way, but what, they were caught in this sin or they were caught in this, this, uh, this conduct that was unbecoming. And so they were either uh, disciplined by the church or they were um, removed from it. And so we've seen so many over the years that have fallen like that. And usually what do we hear from the world around us when that happens? I knew it. It's just a matter of time. The church is full of hypocrites, right? I mean, that's what, that's what I think. I just know they are. Um, so, you know, most people aren't Christians because of the Christians that they know. That's what I've said. Uh, it, and, it's, and it's a lot of times it's, it is true, but it's not because they, they believed that. It's not, believe that, not because they believed that that they were perfect, is because they, they weren't fluent in the gospel yet. Right? Because if we're fluent in the gospel, we realize that we are hypocrites. <laughs> we, we do want to do good, but that we still fall into the trappings of our old lives. And we have to constantly turn from that old way. We have to constantly put on this new life that Christ has given us and put off the old one. Constantly, over and over, right? We have that, that repentance and faith that we're constantly called to. So, so Paul is going to say as much today. He's going to talk about three distinct groups or three distinct representatives, we'll say, right? Because we're all representatives of the church of, of Christ. So we're going to talk about how these three groups of representatives can act, can conduct themselves um, within the body of Christ. First, he's going to address Christians in general, those who are saved through the ministry of the church. Christians in general, first group. Second group, he's going to address his men and women. So essentially our basic identity as men or as women. And then he's going on to a third group, those who serve in, in a leadership role in the church. So three groups, Christians in general, men and women, those who serve in a leadership role. These are the three groups that Paul will address to Timothy here today as he addresses um, how to or how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So let's, let's dive in. So we're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, right at the beginning. <clears throat> he says here, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Let's just stop right there. First of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. How are we doing with that, church? How are we doing with that personally? Our petitions, our specific prayers, 
Are we offering those up for everyone? Okay, okay, maybe not. How about just our general prayers? Are we offering up our general prayers for everyone? Are we interceding for everyone? How about our thanksgivings? Are we thankful for everyone? I mean, that's a pretty big statement, right? <laughs> it's huge. Are we praying for everyone? Well, what's the impact of this? Let's see what he does next. He says, well, for kings and all those who are in authority, so we can, okay, let's get our minds around that. Karen, you beat me to the punch on this one, right? Praying for kings, for those that are in authority. We definitely want to do that. And he says, and he says why? So that we may lead a tranquil, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Does our leadership, our, 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 our leadership in government, does that affect us as Christians? I mean, can it affect our Christian life, even our Christian way of life, the, the amount of peace and tranquility that we um, experience in, in, in our life this side of heaven? Of course it does. The decisions that are made in Washington affect, affect the church. They, just, they do. So, he says, are we praying for those people that are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity? Should we expect that, though? Do we expect that we'll lead a peaceful, tranquil, quiet life as Christians? But we've experienced otherwise, haven't we? Yeah. We've even been told that we'll experience persecutions. But should we pray for it? Of course we should. That, that we would be able to proclaim the gospel unchallenged, unfettered to everyone that we were just told to pray for. Of course we should pray for that. Of course we would want that. We would want to not be challenged and not be restricted in our proclamation of the gospel. So definitely we should pray for that. <clears throat> this is good, he says. And it pleases God, our Savior. We don't hear... God referred to as our Savior much, do we? But it pleases God, our Savior. Why? Because he wants some. He wants kings. He wants those in authority. No. He wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why do you think this is important, that, that Paul leads with this to Timothy, who is leading a church, who is experiencing some, some, some great turmoil, Great turmoil. A lot of infighting. Misconduct, at, at a minimum, we, that we already, we already know about. Why do you think that's so important to Paul? I think it's because, let's start with the Christians, just at the basic level. Christians, the Christians within the church, impact the church. They impact the church, the, the, the witness that the church has to the world. So if we're not praying for the lost who will be saved, it's almost like he's saying, get a jump start on praying for the church, <laughs> right? Let's get a jump start. Let's pray for them while they're saved or, or while they're lost so that when they're saved, when they're saved, they'll be great representatives of God through the, through the local church body. And then what does he do? How, well, how do we do that, Paul? He goes right into the gospel. When in doubt, clarify the gospel. When in doubt, be more fluent in your explanation of who
who Christ was and what he did. So verse 5, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Having problems in your church with Christians? Maybe it's because they got saved with a false gospel. I think that's kind of what he's saying here. Maybe they weren't clear on the gospel. Maybe there was some other gospel that was being shared. Maybe there was some other gospel that was used to save them. Let's start there. Let's clarify the gospel presentation so that we know that those that you're praying for, that you're interceding for, that you're thankful for as your church grows, that they're Christians. (laughs) They're little Christs. That they're believing the true gospel. There's one God. There's one mediator in Christ. That he's the one who paid the ransom for you. Not the church, not the pastor, not anybody else in the church, but Jesus, Jesus alone. Those are the disciples, right, that we're supposed to be making. Disciples of Christ. If we get nothing else right as a church, right, let's get that right. Let's get the gospel right. So that in spite of any failings that we have as a body of believers, we have led people to the true God and his true Savior, Christ, in Christ. That's true salvation. Not some other distorted view of the gospel. Because then we're making disciples of us. We don't want to make disciples of us. We want to make disciples of Christ. For this, Paul says, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, He's he's keying in on the truth. He wants to make sure that we get the truth. I'm telling the truth. (laughs) I'm not lying. He wants to make sure you get that. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Truth is very important to Paul. He wants to make sure we start with that. Let's make sure we don't just want numbers. Let's make sure we just don't want people in the pews. Let's make sure we don't just want people in our gatherings. We want the truth to be shared so that anyone who makes a profession of faith, they're making a profession of faith in the true gospel of Jesus Christ, not in something else, not in some distortion. So we started there, and I think we need to start there. We need to be praying. We need to be on our knees, spending time, setting aside margin, laying our lives, our quality of life maybe down to pray for all those who still do not know Christ. We need to be fluent. We need to be so good. It should be on the tip of our tongue in any conversation that we share the gospel, that we put Christ out ahead of us quickly in any conversation that we have, that it's about Christ. It's not about the local church. It's not about the building. It's not about the meeting place. It's not about anything that we have that, that we want to. And, and, and listen, there are so many aspects of church life that I love. <laughs> I love. I love community. I love friendship. I love brotherhood. I love eating. I love all those things. But I don't want to win people to those things. I want to, I want to win people to Jesus. Let's definitely be about that. As we, as we pray to our God, are we praying for the lost? Are we making petitions for those who are far from God to come to know him through Jesus? Or are we asking for our own 
basic needs? Are we asking for our own comfort? Are we remembering all those around us that are so far from, us, from salvation? Are we interceding for people specifically? We've made lists in this church, I know we have, of people that we know, of people that we, we want to see come closer to, to God. Are we, are we remembering to do that? Are we staying faithful to that? As we intercede, are we interceding for our kids? There's a basic relationship. Are we even remembering our own spouses, our own kids, as we lift up prayers to God? And as people come, do we just move on to the next, next group? Or are we just being thankful, being so thankful to God as he blesses this church, this community? We have to remember who gives the growth, right? Who gives the growth? It's God and his spirit. So first and foremost, Paul says, let's get it right. Let's get the gospel right as we're making believers, as we're seeing those discipled into a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> are we getting it right? Let's put, let's put some focus on getting that right so that those that are coming and building up the church are little Christ, are Christians, are believers that they are saved by grace, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Next, he says, as men and women, <clears throat> you're image bearers of Christ. You're image bearers. That relationship that you have as a man or as a woman to each other and to the body of Christ says something about the God that you follow, says something about the God that you believe in. <clears throat> He says here, first off, he says, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. <clears throat> now, I want to remember something here. <clears throat> There's, when we look at a text, <clears throat> we look at a text a couple of different ways, don't we? They're not all the same. <laughs> we don't look at every text exactly the same. Like, like, you don't treat a narrative like you treat a poem, you don't treat a letter like you do a, a song. You, you, they're, they're different. Um, Paul was dealing with an actual instance here, a, a real church that existed that he knew. And we can quickly look at Paul's uh, information here to Timothy, his letter, as something that we must apply in every situation, in every church, anywhere. And that's, that's, un, that's, that's, that's not a good, good way to look at the text. Number one, this is a hard teaching when you just read it at face value, okay? So I just want to prepare you. <laughs> We're going to go into something, and I think there's going to be some, some emotions that, that kind of flare up. And Whoa, wait a minute. He can't be saying that literally to me. And this, and this isn't something he's calling us to do as a 21st century church. So I want to, I want to give you some tools for that, okay? First off, I think we need to... We need to realize, what, what do we believe about the text? What do we think about the Bible in general? So as I come to the Bible for advice, for counsel, for revelation from God, what do I really, what am I going to do with that? What do I really think about this, this book right here, this collection of letters maybe? What, what do I do with that? <clears throat> well, David Dockery, he's a, he's a president of, actually he's been a president of several uh, 
Christian universities. Um, but he wrote something I think is very helpful. It's, it's uh, six different views on uh, biblical inerrancy is what he's calling it. So essentially, do I think I can trust this, this book? And, and if so, how do I trust it? How do I apply what this book, how do I apply that to my, to my life? So he has six views. I want to share those with you because you need to make up your mind, quite frankly. What do you think about the Bible? Is it full of errors and contradictions and, and things that I really don't have to apply to my life? Or, or at what level do I apply the text of Scripture to my life? And how, how do I do that? How do I, how do I balance all this out? So here's what he says. Number one is naive inerrancy. Naive inerrancy assumes that God actually dictated the Bible to the writers. A mechanical dictation view of inerrancy. The passages that indicate that the Spirit told the author precisely what to write are regarded as typical of the entire Bible. It tends to ignore style differences along with historical and cultural context. So this first view is real simple. Holy Spirit dictated every word of the Bible to the writer. That's it. All from God directly. That's the first view. Second view is absolute inerrancy. Absolute inerrancy affirms that the Bible is accurate and true in all matters, and the writers intended to give a considerable amount of exact data in such matters. This view tries to separate itself from the view of mechanical dictation, but sometimes fails to take seriously the human aspect of Scripture and its historical contexts. So just a little different, a little different in that second view. Third view, balanced inerrancy. This view affirms that the Bible is completely true in all the Bible affirms to the degree of precision intended by the writer. This position regards scientific matters <coughs> as phenomenal. That is, they're often reported as they appeared to the human writer, which perhaps may be different from the way they really are. It regards the historical matters as accurate, though sometimes in a very general way. So, so this takes into account the viewpoint of the writer, not just the, the, the Holy Spirit, but actually each author, each writer, person who penned or dictated um, the, the text, takes into account their, their differences. Number four, limited inerrancy. Limited inerrancy maintains that the Bible is inerrant in matters of salvation and ethics or faith and practice. Inspiration did not necessarily protect the biblical writers from misstatements in matters of science or history. This, however, is no problem because the Bible is inerrant in the matters for which the Bible was given. So do you see how we're stepping down here? We're just kind of just getting into different little nuances through each one. Two more. Number five, functional inerrancy. Functional inerrancy contends that the Bible inerrantly accomplishes its purpose. This view does not equate inerrancy with factuality. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal God and to bring people into fellowship with him. To the degree, to the degree that this is done, the Bible can be said to be inerrant. And lastly, number six is errant but authoritative. The errant but authoritative view is built on an encounter view of inspiration. It sees the Bible not as revelation, but as a pointer to a personal encounter with God. Questions of truth or falseness are of little concern. 
It holds the Bible, contains errors, because it was written by human beings who are sinful and therefore err. So any reader of the Bible needs to come to a conclusion about what they believe about the text in general. How does this text speak to me? How does it influence my life? At what level of inerrancy have I given um, to these words? You need to make that decision. We all need to make that decision. <clears throat> so that when Paul gives us a, a, a hard writing, do we just take it at face value? Do we just assume he's speaking to Brian Collison in Pillar Church in 2018? I don't think we can do that. I don't think we get to do that, right? I've said it before, I'll say it again. We're reading other people's mail when we read the Bible. <laughs> We're reading other people's mail. But the principles that the Holy Spirit puts into the, the biblical author, I believe they ring true. They ring true to us. So we'll mine this text. I say that all the time, but that's what, I, that's what I mean. We'll figure it out. What is he trying to say to us? What is he trying to say to me? What is he trying to say to you? How is God speaking through Paul, through this letter, to me? How much of it do I take at face value as a prescription for the church? And how much is a description of that church? Right? Those are two different things. So just, just have your eyes, your mind open. When you, when you read through a text that, that seems hard, especially in a context uh, of, of, uh, of today where things are, are different, things are changing. So with that being said, let's, let's dive right back into this instruction for men and women here in uh, the, the second section. He's already said to the men, pray lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Well, that's pretty specific. I think he had someone in mind or someone's in mind when he gave that when he gave that advice. How do you pray? Because he told us to pray at the beginning. And now he's saying, when you pray, this is how you should pray. You should lift up holy hands. Those holy hands, not only do they uh, speak of your conduct being holy, but of your attitude of your posture of holiness that you have through the Savior. Without anger or argument. Again, that's very specific to the context that he's talking to Timothy about. He says, also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, well, shouldn't that be true of the church of Jesus Christ? That we wouldn't be known for our outward appearance, but of, of the good works that we perform in, in Jesus' name. With good works, he says, as is proper for women who affirm that they worship God. Does our practice follow our doctrine so that's really what he's saying right are we doing what we say we believe <clears throat> he says a woman should learn in silence with full submission i do not allow 
a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. That's a tough one to hear. Just to even, just to even read, isn't it? What is, he, what is he talking about? What could he possibly be talking about? Well, what do we know about Ephesus? Very worldly. Very worldly. The people of Ephesus were all about being, about fame and fortune. Fame and fortune. Very selfish. Political, rich. They all were mouthpieces. They all wanted to be heard over everyone else. It doesn't sound like, like a submission, a, a submissive spirit under the lordship of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. Are we submitting under Christ's lordship so that Christ is, is the one who gets the proper praise, the proper worship? Or is it all about me? I think we could all ask ourselves. We have our own tastes in here, don't we? We have our own tastes about how cold the air conditioner is and how, how loud the music is or how quiet the music is or, or how contemporary the music is. Or, like we all have our own tastes about how we like to see things happen in the life of the church. It's been my experience, though, here, since I've been here, that we submit those things to the greater good. And I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> but that's, that's not what was happening <laughs> In the church at Ephesus, there were people who were trying to take over. They were taking over the worship service. They wanted everybody to hear them and to, and to maybe even, uh, uh, you know, have a level of pride about how well they understood or knew or heard or sang or whatever it is. They were taking over the worship service. So this was his response to how to, how to figure this out, how to fix this problem that they were having. <clears throat> He goes on in verse 13, he says, For Adam was created first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, holiness, with good judgment. That's good advice for everybody. <laughs> to continue on in faith, love, holiness, and good judgment. That's a different posture. We're all called to have that posture of submission to Christ as Lord and Savior. I think that's what Paul was trying to do here with Timothy. He wasn't necessarily trying to shut down the, the woman who was worshiping aloud. He was saying, we're trying to get back to Christ the head, Christ the loudest voice that we hear. Everyone else should be submitted to that. So, all Christians should have a posture. Men and women should have a posture toward uh, how they conduct themselves within the body of Christ. And then lastly, he says, there are qualifications or, or character traits even that leaders should bear out if they're going to lead in the body of Christ. And we'll talk more about this throughout, throughout this letter, 
further on in this letter and even further on in the, in the next two letters that we're also uh, dealing with in Second uh, Timothy and Titus. <coughs> but, so this will be just kind of a quick overview of this. He says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own household competently, having his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And they must also be tested first if they prove blameless. Then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons must be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I don't think the, any of these are surprising. <clears throat> I don't think any of these are surprising. When we realize that when we aspire to do anything within the body of believers, that, that should all be done with a spirit to give glory to God. I think we should all seek that, right? We don't want to give glory to ourselves. We should always be seeking to, to give glory and honor to God. So whether we're just a new Christian, coming to faith, coming to be part of this new body that we're a part of as Christians, whether we're figuring out our role as a man or a woman within that body, or we're aspiring for a leadership role. All of those things should be done in a way that gives the most glory and the most honor, not to ourselves, not to our own tastes, not to our own um, whatever choices we make, whatever things that we like, but to, number one, not hinder the, the clear gospel presentation. Not appear to be a, a hypocrite in any way. But to make that gospel so clear and be so fluent in that, that there's no question that when somebody runs into Hamilton at the SBC and they spend five minutes with him, they realize that guy is a representative of Jesus Christ. That should be the first thing that we should be known for, Right? I mean, I've said this before, and I think it's kind of funny, really, but I don't want anybody to run into me in heaven and go, I didn't know you were a Christian. Wow. Right? I mean, it sounds silly, but are there people in our lives now that could say that? Huh. Oh, you go to church? Huh. I didn't know. I didn't know you were a follower of Jesus. The fact is, we're always representing the church. We're always representing Christ, no matter where we are, whether it's at the SBC or the gas station or at work or wherever we go. We're always representing Christ. How are we doing? 
I think that's our application for this week. Number one, self-test, right? Self-test, navel gaze. Look inside first. How am I doing? <laughs> Na- navel, belly button, sorry. <laughs> navel gazer, navel gazer. <laughs> Ahoy, no, not, nothing like that. <clears throat> no, belly button. How are we doing? Own self-assessment. Number two, am I teaching anybody else to do it? Well, that's another, that's just another self-assessment, right? Maybe, am I doing it, but am I, am I really helping anyone else navigate these waters? Am I discipling anyone else to make God famous? How am I doing with that? Am I holding anyone else accountable? And then lastly, do I invite anyone else to hold me accountable? That's the hard one. It's easy for us to go, ah, that guy over there, he's a mess. I can't believe he's living like that. And he calls himself a Christian. But do we invite anyone to do that to us? Do we have environments where others can give us positive feedback, criticism? Sounds tough. Well, if you're a member of a church, you have. (laughs) Just so you know. That's what the church, that's part of what the church does, right? We hold each other accountable because we want to be able to say with, with all the people here, that's a follower of Christ. I know that they know the real gospel. I know that they profess their faith in Jesus. That's what the church does. It comes alongside of each other. Again, not in a judgmental way, like you pointed out earlier. Thank you. <clears throat> in a winsome way, to win them back to Christ. Like That's what church discipline even is. Church discipline isn't so you can cast everyone out that's not like you. It's so you can constantly be crying out to everyone, no, no, the, this, the stakes are so high. Christ's fame and name and glory are, are at stake here. It has nothing to do with the church sign. There'll be another church sign someday, maybe. I don't know. But we pray that the same Christ will be declared no matter what happens. Consider that today. <clears throat> in just a second, we'll be, we'll be spending time in the Lord's Supper. Consider that today as, as the elements pass. Have I covenanted with this local body of believers? to say, I, I need that accountability. I want that accountability. I want to help others. I want to, I want to have an environment where I can teach and train and mentor and guide others so that they'll learn from my pitfalls. They'll learn from my struggles. And no one will repeat that history. Just as Paul was praying that no one would repeat the history of the church at Ephesus. That's what we do when we covenant together as a church. Pray that you'll consider that today. Mm, Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful. Uh, We're so thankful for your word as you've protected it. That we could even have it today. We could have it in our hands, in our own language. And we can hear from Paul. We can hear from Moses. And so many others between the two. That knew you. And loved you and still do today because they're with you in glory. Help us, Father, as we come to your text and as we read something that's just 
catches our attention. It's scary. It's hard. Help us to trust you in the midst of it. Help us to see what it is that you want us to learn from this message. Help us not to just discard things simply because of the, the amount of time that's passed since we've, since, from the time that it was written to the, to the time that we received it. We love you and we thank you for the ways that you guide us with your Holy Spirit, with the body of Christ, and with your word first and foremost. Father, help us to, to set time aside every day so that we can hear directly from you through the Bible so that we can know you better. We can love you more and more, and we can share that love with others. We love you in so many ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.